All right. Well, good morning. My name's thank you. My name's Kevin Boyle. I'm the next gen pastor. Uh, I was up here already, so double, you know, doing some double duty. But um, I'm excited to be continuing this series. You asked for it, and where you have actually submitted questions, and we are answering that. So it's a part of that we're doing something special where we have a panel at the end. And so anytime during the sermon. If you would like to ask a question, you can scan the QR code in front of you and you can submit that. Or if you would like to submit uh, ways that my sermon is better than Chase's sermon last week. As, uh, so he is the one who gets those and it's a little humbling for him, which kind of applies to my message today. And so um, I want to bring you back to when I was first a Christian. So I, I grew up not in a Christian home and so I didn't become a Christian until I entered high school. And which means I was pretty young in my faith when I got my driver's license. Now, it might be my underdeveloped prefrontal cortex, it might be the teenage invincibility, but I believed that a loving God would not allow bad things to happen to me. And so that kind of carried over into my driving habits. Uh, I'm a very competitive person, I don't like to lose, I want to be first, I want to go the fastest, and so as you can imagine, I had a speeding problem. And I very much believed, now, it's, it's funny now, um, I very much believed that God would not allow me to get a speeding ticket if I was listening to Christian music. <laughs> um, that was a very painful and costly lesson that I learned, that that's not how God works. Um, and that brings us to our question today that was submitted. And so our question uh, that was submitted was this. How do we embrace uh, the pain, the struggle, and suffering that comes from being challenged by Scripture and faith while being, by avoiding becoming prideful and judgmental like modern-day Pharisees? So today, I'm going to focus on the first part. How do we embrace the pain and the struggle of being a Christian? Um, and because some of the other sermons are going to kind of hit on the judgmental aspect, and so I'm not going to be diving into all pain and suffering. I'm going to be looking specifically at the pain and suffering that comes from being a Christian. And so, what are some things that we're going to be talking about? Uh, things like, what about when, you're God, when you're, your dreams and your goals don't align with God's plan for your life? Or the painful process of going through and learning that you're not the center of the universe, that you're not entitled, that you're not as big as you think you are? Or the process of being humbled by God Maybe Chase will have that today. Um, But being humbled by God because there's pride in your life. And so that brings me to my bottom line because there's all kinds of different things. There's ego. There's There's sin in our life. There are things in our life that are not of God. And so what we're going to be talking about is the process of removing the things that do not bring glory or honor God. And so that's a lot. And so for our bottom line, our main point, I want you to, my hope for you is to see, to not focus on the punishment, but to focus and see God's discipline as a gift. So our bottom line is godly discipline is not a punishment, but it is a gift from God. Now, I get it. You hear that. Like, that is a gift that I hope comes with a gift receipt. Like, I want to return that gift. Right? Or like, that's going in the garage sale pile. Like, I don't, just straight there. Or 
Maybe you're like, I want to re-gift this because there's some people who need some discipline in their life, right? <laughs> We're going to re-gift some of this to some other people. But I think as Christians, we need to hear and understand that we, we buy into things kind of similar to my story at the beginning, where whether you were told this or whether you think this, this idea that by becoming a Christian, bad things won't happen to you, or that things will be easier, or things should go smoothly. And so we're going to explore that a little bit. When I was in college, and so this is post my speeding ticket, it's tickets, um, and I received a call in my life to serve and to become a youth pastor. And during college, I was pouring in at a church, and I had three years of experience, and I had a desire to serve God. And I wanted to do great things for God. And I wanted to be the best for God. And I really was excited that I was going to do these amazing things. Did you hear it? Even though I had a call, and I had a desire to serve him, I didn't get a job as a youth pastor right away. I had a pride issue, and I had to be humbled, and I had to go through a very painful process, one in which I was extremely angry. I was shouting at God. I felt that if I'm, gonna, if I'm going to sacrifice my life in service to you, the very least God could do was get me a job. Whew. He doesn't owe me that, Right? And I also learned a very, another lesson. When you utter the words, I will never do, it is almost a guarantee that he's up there going, oh, really? <laughs> really? You're in control? You got this? Oh, yeah. Let's see. Six months later, I was doing the very thing that I said I would never do. Because I needed to be humbled. I needed to be humbled in that. And so... We need to understand that as Christians, the discipline that God brings in our life is to help us to become more in the image of Christ, as Colossians 3.10 talks about. And so as we understand that the discipline that we face, the pain, the hurt, the struggle that we go through, it is for our good. And so that brings me to the first point of how it is a gift, and it is a gift because Godly discipline affirms that you are his child. I'm going to let that sink in. Godly discipline affirms that we are his ch children. So we're going to be in Hebrews 12, and so starting in verse 5, and this is what it says. And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, My child, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those who he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all his children, it means that you are illegitimate and not really his children at all. Okay, so we're going to pause there. So it starts. Did you forget the encouraging words about discipline? That you are his child. It affirms 
your faith. So we, we don't necessarily use that term, but if you are a believer, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a Christian, then you are a child of God. And if you are a true child, then we should expect discipline. And I would even go as far as to say, if you don't get discipline from the Father, then maybe to reevaluate your relationship with Jesus. Matthew 7, Jesus talks about these people who come to him and they're doing all these great things for, for Jesus. And he says, whoa, I never knew you. They didn't have a real relationship with Jesus. And so to take time to reflect on your life, your relationship, because there are people that I think, unfortunately, think they're Christian. They do the Christian things, but they never had that relationship with Jesus. They were never that true child. And so discipline from the Father affirms your relationship. And that is encouraging news. That should be encouraging news. Now, that's kind of a weird idea for some of us, this idea that you're going to cause pain and hurt for people that you love. Other of you are like, I get that. I definitely understand that. But for some of us, that's a weird idea. And I coach my kids in all different sports, and so right now I'm coaching baseball. And so when I think of correction, uh, there's a couple videos that have popped up uh, in my feed, and I think of this. And so, so I want you to check this out, and we'll kind of look at this in a second. All right, Braxton, you ready, bro? Here we go. Good job, everybody. Come on, Bentley. You got it, bud. Oh, get it. Ow. Jalen, get up. <laughs> get through of it. All right. So, right? You know, as I'm out there, and confession, I've, I've been that guy. You can probably see the similarities, right? That's how I dress when I'm out there coaching the backwards hat. Um, but... You know, you're, you're out there with the correction. And so whether it's a coaching or parenting, a lot of times we think about our relationship with our earthly parents or, or our own parenting, right? And our motives aren't always the best, right? I've been in that situation where I've been coaching or even parenting where there's been a little extra frustration that goes in, right? That as I hit that ball, there is kind of that frustration of, he didn't clean his room today, or he didn't do the dishes, right? And so there's just that little extra into whatever it might be, and maybe of the discipline that you give to your kids. And a lot of times we view God by the way we view our parents or our own parenting. And one of the things that we need to understand is that there are lots of great fathers and mothers and parents and good people, but we all fall short. We all miss it. And God is perfect. He is perfect in his motive. He is perfect in his correction. And so when it talks about that he does it for your good, he's not doing it in the same way of, as us where we are so frustrated and that I'm going to cause pain in, in their life. He is doing it because of the love that he has for you. And we get a glimpse of this as the, the writer of Hebrews quotes Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. And it says, For he disciplines the ones that he loves. Now, Proverbs was written in Hebrew, 
And so the, Hebrew, uh, the, the author of Hebrews, that's confusing, stay with me, is a New Testament book, and that is written in Greek. And so the Greek word that we have there for love is agape. And that is the highest form of love. This is the love that Jesus talks about in John chapter 15, where he talks about the love of the Father is in me, and the love I have for you abide in my love, is agape love. So this isn't some passing platitude. This isn't some cliche thing. This isn't my love for Mountain Dew or my love for the sports team that continually disappoints me because I'm from Minnesota. This isn't that kind of love. It is the love that made Jesus go to the cross. Verse 13 says that there is no higher love than for one to lay down his life for another. That's the love that God sees you with. That is the love that God disciplines you with, of understanding that the love of the Father. And so, as we walk, knowing that the discipline that we get is for our good, and it affirms that we are his true children, that your relationship is real, and that he loves you way more than we could even imagine. The second way that I think God's discipline is a gift is it's a great teacher. And so we're going to continue in Hebrews 12, starting in verse 9. And so we'll unpack that in a second. And it says this. Since we are, uh, since we are respected, we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the Father of our spirits and, uh, who live? I'm out of order. <laughs> there we go. Um, where am I? So if, we, if God doesn't discipline us as he does all his children, it means that you are illegitimate. And since, oh, I'm sorry, starting in verse 10, I wrote 9. Uh, for our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how, but God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening it is painful, but afterwards there will be a peaceful harvest, a right living for those who are trained in its way. Okay. So this is something that I think we're very familiar with. Um, there's all kinds of popular sayings, right, that pain is the best teacher. Michael Jordan is quoted as saying it. Lots of people are quoted as saying it. And so for our purpose this morning, that godly discipline is a great teacher. But the problem is most people would not sign up for the class if we knew what the syllabus was. Meaning, if we knew what it would take to learn the lessons that pain brings, we wouldn't go through them. Right? That pain is one of the reasons why it's a great teacher is because it addresses things that we wouldn't address on our own. It's interesting that the root word of discipline is disciple. And so, as in the 12 disciples, or meaning student, and so if you are a Christian, if you are a believer, you are a disciple of Jesus. And the Greek word for discipline means cause to learn. And I think a lot of times pain is such a great teacher because it causes us to learn the things that we wouldn't learn on our own. Charles Spurgeon has a great quote about how pain uh, helps us learn, and it says this. 
Pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And I love that. I love that because I believe God is always speaking. I believe God is always speaking to us, but oftentimes we're not the ones listening. And so this shows how God kind of, kind of steps it up a little bit. And so he's speaking to you and trying to continually make you more into the image of Jesus. And if you're not listening, you might want to start to expect some discipline to get your attention. You might start to expect him to cause you to learn what it is that he wants you to learn. And one of the things, one of the reasons... Jesus isn't interested in behavior modification. That's one of those terms that a lot of parents, right, we want our kids to behave a certain way, right? Parenting, we want our kids, if you could just learn not to use those words, if you could just learn to play the game, if you could just look really good and be, your behaviors be good, that's what the Pharisees did. And Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. Meaning they look good on the outside, but they were dead on the inside. Jesus cares more about heart, cares more about your character. He's interested in changing your heart. And that is a deeper and longer process. And oftentimes, it's the pain that brings about that kind of change. Because pain forces us to address areas we wouldn't address on our own. It forces us to ask questions that we wouldn't ask on our own. It makes us do things and experience things we wouldn't necessarily do by our own. And so that is part of the reason why I believe God uses discipline. He causes us to learn the things that we wouldn't choose to learn on our own. So then the question, how do we know if it's godly discipline? Because there's all kinds, there's, there's suffering and there's pain and there's hurt and there's all these things, how do we know if it's godly discipline? And I think the first is by going back to Hebrews chapter 12. It talks about that it will produce a harvest of right living. It will produce a harvest of right living. And so Jesus tells us that we will know the fruit. We will know the tree by the fruit, the good and the bad. We will know whether or not things, what is it producing in you? Is it producing bad fruit? Is it producing bitterness, hatred, anger? Or is it producing good fruit? And these good fruit, we're told, are the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. And so those are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, the problem with this There's no self-help book on how to become more generous. It's a heart condition. There's no weights that you can lift to become more joyful. It's only by going through the painful process of learning that your joy is rooted in Jesus and not in your circumstances. There's no class on how to be faithful except for being brought to your knees in desperation and crying out to God and seeing that only he is the one who can eat you in that and he proves himself to be faithful. And so, one of the ways of knowing if this discipline is from God is seeing what are the things that it is producing in you. Is it producing 
fruit of the Spirit? Are you seeing his hand cutting and pruning and allowing the fruit to grow and to blossom? The second way I would say is that godly discipline is always designed to draw you closer to God. His desire is always to draw you closer to him. The book of Job is an interesting read, to say the least. Um, He loses pretty much everything in his life. His friends basically just tell him, you might as well just curse God and die, like you have nothing else to live for. But then Job interacts with God. And we get Job uh, chapter 42, verse 5, in which he says, My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. And he repents of his behavior, and he grows closer because of the interaction. God met him in his pain and suffering. In the same way that God entered the fiery furnace of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God, Jesus cried with his friends at the death of Lazarus, even though he knew he would raise him again. We sang the song that battle belongs, that Jesus will fight the battle even when you cannot fight it anymore. The desire is to grow closer with Jesus. There's a, there's a, a phrase that some of you may use and some of you may not, but you, know, you have your ride-or-die friends. You have those friends who are so close, that best friend, but typically you get to that point of friendship with someone, not because you went through the best of times, because they walked through the worst of times with you. That only, that friendship can only be forged going through trials and struggles. And those people prove the closeness of that relationship. And that's one of the designs of God is to grow closer. That as you enter into that relationship with Jesus, that there is a deeper connection that happens when you see that Jesus meets you in that hard time. The third one is that God speaks to you. So I've never heard the audible voice of God. There are some people that say they have. But I have heard the voice of God. That story where I told you where I was angry, I was yelling at God. I was in my car screaming at God, and God spoke. And immediately I was quiet. And he confronted me. He told me what I was being disciplined for and that my behavior was not okay. Now, was it an audible voice? No. But I can tell you where my thoughts were going. I was on a train track going somewhere very different, and immediately it stopped, and it went, the voice was in my mind. And so whether you hear God through your prayer life, whether you read scripture and you hear God speak to you that way, whether it's walking in creation, however it might be, of God speaking to you. We also have ways of how God speaks through other people. And that comes up with the next one, but I'm going to caution you. So we have examples of God using people to speak, prophets and, and things like that, but I'm going to caution you. There's been a ton of damage that has been done in the Lord's name because people are careless and reckless with their words. And so... I believe that God speaks through people. I do. I've had it in my own life. But you need to be able to filter what they say 
through your own prayer life, through your own study, through your own scripture. And I would even say of having other trusted people who have your best interest and run it by them. And so this is the, the, third, the, other, the fourth way, I think it is, um, of having people who have your best interest, who that you've given permission to speak into your life, that they know you. And here's the thing. A lot of us have blind spots. A lot of us have things in our life that we don't see. And so having people around you that can say, hey, maybe God is trying to get your attention this way. But then again, filter that through scripture. Filter that through prayer. And the last thing I would say is reflection. Because if we're honest, I mean, scripture tells us going through discipline is not fun. It's not. If you're working a job that you absolutely hate and you don't know how you're going to pay your bills, it's not going to... More than likely, you're not going to be like, oh God, thank you so much for these blessings and this gift that you have bestowed upon me. No, you're probably not going to realize it in the moment. And so looking back, so if you're going through a tough time of looking back, have you seen a harvest of right living? Have you seen growth in the fruit of the Spirit? Have you seen how you've grown closer to God. Maybe your prayer life has increased. Maybe your devotion or your hunger for scripture has increased. Maybe you've gotten rid of an addiction or maybe there's habits or things that you've been going through that all of a sudden you started to live a life that is more in the image of Jesus. And so that would be the last thing of looking back, of seeing, is this godly discipline? To close this out, I'm going to read a quote from Mark Batterson from his book, Whisper, which I highly recommend. Don't be so focused on getting out of difficult circumstances that you don't get anything out of them. Sometimes the, the circumstances you're trying to change are the very circumstances God is using to change us. So before you take a painkiller, listen carefully to what God is saying during the tough times. So Great Oaks, as we close... May we, may I, be people that when we go through godly discipline, that we see not as a punishment because we're awful people or we're terrible people and that we need to be fixed, but to see it as a gift from a loving Father, that it affirms that you have a real relationship with him, that you are a true child, that you see God moving and working and molding and shaping you to be more in the image of Christ, and may we grow closer to Jesus in the process. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for today, Lord. I thank you um, just for everyone here and those watching online. Lord, I pray just as we enter into this, into seasons of discipline, whether we're, we've been through it, we're going through it, or we're about to go through it, Lord that we will see your loving hand in our discipline. And even as it's not an encouraging topic necessarily, Lord, that we can see that it is you who is moving and working for our good, that it is for our benefit, and it is for to draw us closer to you. And so, Lord, we love you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
All right, good morning, Great Oaks again. Uh, so this is the time where we get to answer some of the questions that you guys have uh, from the uh, message that uh, Kevin just gave. And so I'm gonna give Kevin a moment here to get up on stage. Um, so, so far, just kind of one question. So if there's anything else you guys have, go ahead and submit it. Um, but the question came in as, uh, how do we have a conversation about why we experience pain and suffering with a non-believer who only sees God's discipline as a bad thing and not as love for us? Typically, Kev, we've let the preacher go first, but can you we can take the a stab at it if you want us to. That's what we normally do. All right. Um, question, how do we have a conversation about why we experience pain and suffering with a non-believer who only sees God's discipline as a bad thing and not as love for us? So, uh, I think, uh, so this, this is the hard part, and this is part of what I kind of talked about in the beginning, is there is pain and suffering that I believe, and so this is a theological question, and people, you know, what's the root of all suffering and everything? I, b I don't believe all suffering is caused by God. I do believe all suffering is under God. And what I mean by that is God is sovereign over all, right? And we see that in the book of Job, but I don't see necessarily all pain. So when you go and you do something stupid... Um, Can we say the S word on stage? <laughs> Stu what? <laughs> Can we say the S word? Stupid, yes. I just am expanding my vocabulary. This is great. Right. When, when you go and do when sin... Um, right? <laughs> Sorry. I won't get invited up here again. Um, sin, like, there's consequence, there's pain, there's hurt, and that necessarily isn't as a result of God's discipline to you. There's consequences to, to our choices. Um, I also think that there are, there's sin, or not, there's part of living in a fallen world, um, and there's pain, and there's suffering and things because we're not in as God designed it. And I think the story of Lazarus, um, where Jesus is walking and he uh, goes and he knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knows it. He told his disciples before he even goes that he's going to do it. But yet Jesus still weeps with his friends because he sees the pain and the hurt that, that they had. And he sees that that wasn't the original design for creation. And so even though it was under his control and he could have saved Lazarus from dying, he didn't because of the fallenness of this world. And so that's hard when you're talking with a non-Christian because there are, there's pain and suffering that's not from God. And I think it's just from the fact that there's sin in this world and that's really hard to walk through. And that's kind of what I'm talking about with that idea of what is it producing in you, Right of the fruit. Do you see how God is trying to bring about good things in your life? There's some suffering that just, sorry, Jason, sucks. Like, it just... No, it, I love it. Like, it. I, I just want to know what words I can use and can't use. It's great. Yeah, you know, super theological. Yeah, it's great. The Greek word is sucks. Um, <laughs> it just, uh, I believe that actually trails back, it actually translates back to inhales vigorously, but that's okay. Whatever, yeah. yeah. Humble him. <laughs> so, I, Kevin, if I can, I, this is a great question, and it's a tricky question, right? There's lots of stuff. Like, the place I want to take this, I think, Kevin, you did a fantastic job. One thing I want to remind us of, it is not your job or my job to look at somebody in the middle of trial and be like, you know, if you just repent of that sin, God would stop disciplining you. Yeah. 
You have no clue. I have no clue. What's going on? Why it's happening? I mean, if we know there's stuff in their life, we need to talk to them about that. But just because bad things are happening, I I remember very vividly the day I sat having chemo injected into my body, and the associate pastor of the church looked at me and said, so what sin do you think you committed that God has caused this on you? And it is good that the chemo was injected into my right arm. So, and he was sitting on my left side. So it was, we say these things all the time. It's not our place to judge that. And so just as a reminder, as we launch into this, there is stuff that happens just because we live in a fallen world. And we need to be aware of that as well. And so back to that original question about how do we talk about this to the, to the non-believer, the, the non-Christian, Church, it's already hard enough for us to discern whether or not it's based on our doing or it's actually a trial coming to us to grow us. So the fact that we think we have already that natural God-given discernment to tell somebody else, oh, that's sin-based or no, that's God's, you know, that's you growing-based. Really? We already had a hard enough time discerning that between David's story and Job's story. So let's be cautious about how we do that because what happens is when we try to do that, we say something with the S word about what Jason's going through. Stupid, all right? It's all right. Um, so be cautious of that. Honestly, the safest conversation you can have with the non-believer with this is talking about the origin story. We do live in a fallen world, and we don't understand all of that to its depth. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a couple other questions that came in. Let me ask this one. So building off the question that was submitted, does God discipline non-Christians, or does he only discipline Christians? Or you look over to the lead pastor. <laughs> Jason? <laughs> I'll let you step in that. I think God uses circumstances to draw us to him. And I think he uses us as his people to comfort and care for people who are going through circumstances. Again, God does not cause evil. God, because of the world we live in, allows bad things to happen natural disasters, those kinds of storms. Can God use that to draw people to him? I would say absolutely he can. Do I think he's in discipline as his child? I would say no, because until you have professed faith in Jesus, God loves you and God cares for you, but you are not yet his child. That comes as we accept his headship and his fatherhood over us would be my answer to that one. Did I do all right there? <laughs> Any others on that one? Yeah, I mean, I think, so, I think God is, is, is always trying to bring, get people's attention. I think so, in that quote with Spurgeon, where it talks about that he's trying to get people's attention, and so sometimes there will be pain, and he will use that to get their attention to draw him closer uh, to him. And I think, you know, thinking through the, the Romans 8.28 passage that, you know, God works for the good, works all things for the good who are, for those who are called according to his purpose. And so I think God can redeem any situation. So even in, in going through those things of those, the suffering and the pain, that even in living in a fallen world and the stuff that you go through, God can redeem it. God can work in it. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be easy for you or that, but he can use it for his good and for his purposes. Um, and so I think that's another important thing in this, thinking through that. So of, 
uh, of a tragedy that may happen, it may wake someone up that, they, hey, they need to give their life to Jesus. Like, I know several stories of people who were in horrific car accidents or things that, not that God made the car swerve off the, the road, but he used that circumstance for their good eventually. Does that make sense? Are we out of time? Is, go ahead and ask it. We get one response in it, Paul. So it's kind of related, but I think it's a good question. Uh, can you give clarification on what the voice of God is and how to tell it is God and not your own thoughts? Because Kevin was talking about how the voice of God is speaking in the midst of discipline. So um, this is something that I, I've definitely studied um, the la- over the last couple years, and I, I highly recommend the book Whisper by Mark Batterson, and it talks about different ways that you can hear the voice of God. Um, and so there's different things. And so one of the things that I would say is you need to train, to learn, there's all kinds of voices and thoughts coming into your head, and you, as you slowly learn what it is of God, the, the voice of God, and it will amplify as you continue to listen to it. And I think one of the things in that situation where I was yelling, like all of a sudden, my thought process changed instantly. My thoughts were quieted. God amplified his voice in my mind to make sure that I heard him in that moment. That's not how it is every single time. I would say that as you are going through and you're trying to discern one, ask him in prayer. Ask him right? He wants to give you good gifts. He wants you to hear his voice. Ask him for it. But then also run it through scripture, his voice, what he's telling you, because he will not contradict his word. And so as you go through, his word is not going to go against the promises that he's given to you in scripture. It's not going to go against the things in scripture. And so there are, we're in a spiritual battle and there are voices for bad that are also in your mind. And so hearing through that and cutting through those things, um, but then also there are other ways. So that book um, by Mark Batterson. Three simple steps that I I give people with this. Uh, Kevin's absolutely right. You know, Scripture is the first litmus test to you hearing the voice of God. However, pray, fast, surround yourself with godly counsel. What that means is this. So when you pray about it, keep, and that voice will amplify I promise you, if you, it's really the voice of God. If you fast, if you know what that is, you can look that up. You're, it's going to get amplified even more. And if you still don't know, if, uh, is this the voice of God? That's why we have community. Speak to your community, whether it's life group or people that you trust with your relationship, with your faith, and just say, hey, here's what I'm hearing. Does this sound right to you? And those would be three quick steps to be able to discern whether or not that's God or whether that's, no, that's an evil desire, a fleshy desire, or even Satan himself. Yeah, I don't really have anything to add. Kevin, I'm going to call an audible, though, uh, and I'll close off this morning if that's all right with you. So um, I just want to pause for a minute in the midst of all this and first thank you all for your questions, but also pause and help you make, make sure we don't miss something. And that's how blessed we are. It is so great for me and for you as a congregation that you don't have to hear only my voice every week. Most churches are lucky and fortunate to have maybe two good communicators. The fact that we have four and five, really, that we have put on this stage over the last year is amazing. And so please understand that and know that this is not most churches' common experience, but by being able to do this, we all have more time to prep, prepare, 
and present the word, hopefully in ways that are more engaging for you. And so it is an honor to lead this teaching team and uh, this staff. Thank you so much for being with us. God bless. Have a great day, and we'll see you next week.